are welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits. Not here at the Recycle Garage. In fact, we're at a very special place. We are indeed. Very special place. We are here at the Vetter, what do you call it? The ranch, the farm? <laughs> Rancho Vetter. <laughs> Rancho Vetter. We're here with all of the Vetters. Um, we're here with, we got Craig Vetter here, got Carol Vetter, Zach Vetter, and of course, Miss Emma and myself. This is Liza. Hello, darling. We're here to talk about Craig and the family, and I'll explain why we are here. For those who aren't familiar, Craig Vetter, he's a designer, an inventor, a racer, an AMA Hall of Famer. Um, he's somebody who's made his mark in the motorcycle industry, has is, is created a legacy, and he continues to do that by inspiring people with the the Vetter Fuel Economy Challenge, which is really what his, his you know, focus has been on, about making things better, you would say, right? So for many people who don't know, Craig was in an accident coming up almost two years ago. In August, it'll be two yeah. years. And we're not here to lay blame. It was no fault of his own, but we'll talk about that. Um, but what I wanted to talk about is the... The, the family, the community, the, the faith, the staff, what it takes to recover from an accident like this. And I don't think people realize how much is involved with it. Um, I want to just start real quickly from just reading a post that Carol had posted just to kind of get you into what what was going on for the family and she says uh carol here wanted to make sure you knew that a week ago wednesday craig was in a motorcycle accident he has been in the icu since then and is still not conscious i believe he will be fine but it's going to be a long recovery process i try and keep everybody up on what's going on here and this was on the web so we're here to talk about that process but i want to start with craig let's talk about the day it happened do you remember yeah. what happened? We were scheduled going to, um, uh, by the aquarium down here, the, you know, the fish place, and help uh, set up the small car show. Every year they have a small car show, and I was going to go down and, and uh, help them show the cars. So I I'd left on my motorcycle, and Carol was 15 minutes behind, and, um, and it, within a mile of our house, a deer hit me, and I have no memory at all about what happened. And so you were riding your, I call it, veterized scooter. Yeah, I was riding my streamlined Honda Helix, and uh, but I have no idea what happened. I'd seen deers around here before because it was a drop situation a couple of years ago. And um, uh, uh, only Carol uh, asked because I was gone. As soon as the deer hit me, apparently it threw me off. And uh, I have no memory for the next three or four days, maybe three or four months. I don't really know. Right. Well, but, that's what happens with head injuries. Pieces are just gone. Um, from what you guys pieced together, I, I, I know that the deer jumped out of the bushes to cross the road and, and hit you square, no? No, he was on the other side of the street, on okay. Craig's left, eating bushes, mm -hmm. hanging over a fence. And Craig couldn't see him because he was in the shadows. I see. So as you drive off our ranch and down the road, it's a residential area. There's a, a large area on the left that's um, shaded. 
right. and the buck was in the shade. As Craig drove along 20, 25, 30 miles an hour, the buck was startled and decided to go back up the hill and his timing was not very good. So he hit Craig and the impact apparently made a huge noise and Craig went through the side, over the windshield and out and skidded along the ground uh, on, on the grass and the gravel quite a distance. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we were told that the fellow that lived on the property went out there and uh, his, Craig's helmet was pushed down so that the top of his helmet was on the bridge of his nose and that there was a lot of blood coming out of everything. Nose, ears, right. mouth. Uh, and he was turning blue. Um, his wife came running out and she had a couple of years of nursing school under her belt and although everyone wanted to remove wow. his helmet and move him, she, she said, don't touch him, and she reached down and pulled his chin down to open his mouth, and he began to breathe. Wow, okay, so right there, somebody was there. That changes the whole story right there. Yeah. And it could have been so different. Oh, but so we, we kind of, we are kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but we're not. When did you find out that Craig had gone down, Carol? I drove upon the accident. I so you on. actually came upon the wrecked streamliner. So you streamliner knew. Streamliner wasn't wrecked. It was just laying on its side with a broken windshield. And Zach drove it home. Okay. It, it was hardly damaged. It had a dent and a broken windshield. So Craig took the impact. And when I got there, uh, it was 15 or 20 minutes, probably 20 minutes later, I was on my little 250 and I was riding along and I saw the lights flashing and I thought, oh, someone has had an accident and I, you know, thought, oh boy, this is, this is uh, sad. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and I looked at it and realized it was the streamliner. And um, it was funny because I didn't ride right up to it. I didn't want to be close to it. I stopped way back, parked my bike and ran. And I was in shock. You're there. There's no way you know how bad this is. No. He's on local roads. You know he's a responsible rider. There's no other crash cars or anything. How bad can it be? Well, that's what I thought. And I immediately went into shock. And um, I, so much so that I couldn't figure out how to get my helmet off. I had sunglasses on and I was doing this. And I couldn't figure out why I couldn't get my helmet off. So I ran to the officer standing there and asked him where the body was because there was no body. There was, you know what there was? A pair of shoes and a pair of socks Ugh. sitting right there. No blood, just shoes and socks. Honestly, I mean, people think this is funny, but I believe the rapture's coming and I thought, oh crap. Wow. He's been taken. He's been taken and I've been left behind. Wow. Well, wow. I couldn't figure out how that was done because there's no way. Anyway. I, that was my first thought because you see the movies, you know, where there's nothing left but their clothes. Right, right, right. And I saw the shoes, but there was no blood. There was nothing. Apparently, if I had looked, I would have seen deer. I would have seen blood. I would have seen, you know, a, a slide area where he'd gone. Mm -hmm. But I didn't. I was, you know, and then I needed to know where he'd gone. And they told me Salinas trauma center and I said no you should have taken him to community hospital and he said uh-uh he needed the trauma center and that's when I knew it was bad the trauma center 
is on the east side of Salinas where all the gang problems are. Right. And I didn't even know where it was. So I immediately called Zach and said, come, dad's been in an accident. And so uh, Craig's friend Alan was here working on his Streamliner and the two of them came in Craig's car. And I didn't know what to do. I had gone completely into shock and was walking around going, what should I do, what should I do? And Zach said, mom, get in the car and go to dad. And I said, okay, I can do that. Well, I never should have been driving. I got in the car and of course I didn't know where it was. So as I'm driving in shock, I'm hitting my phone and I'm saying, Natividad, mm -hmm. Trauma Center, Salinas, you know, mm -hmm. trying and follow the directions. So, um, well, let me ask you this, because haven't you been through this before with him? He's got a well, long yes. history. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yes, I have. Uh, so, I mean, you know the drill, right? Please. I know the drill, but this was scarier because he's he was 73. I was going to bring that up because no matter when you pull up on the scene all these things are going through your mind but as well you've got to be mindful that Craig is a man in his 70s and I don't think of him that way because the day before he was up on the roof fixing right. fixing a roof on one of the houses he's a very young active 73 oh he's extremely dynamic but uh, he is 73 and the way the the officer said Oh, he needed the trauma center. Okay. Made my stomach go up into my throat. So um, I got in the car and I got that thing going and I just started to pray. And I said, Lord, I am not going to believe anything that isn't a good report. I know you love us. I know you love him. And I'm going to believe he's going to be fine. Or I'm, I don't know what I said to him. I was just praying, mm -hmm. driving along, praying. And I heard, I've, I hear the Lord speak to me. I heard him say, Carol, he'll be fine. Like that. He'll be fine. Like, what's your problem? He'll be fine. So I said, okay, that works for me. And I ran with that. And, you know, I was going to talk about your faith a little bit later. But it it's been introduced at a very early stage so 15 20 minutes after the accident yes i you heard you i knew it that he was going to be fine i knew he was going to be fine and so when i got to the hospital um our other son morgan who isn't here today was at work and found and i, I don't know if i called him or you called him i don't remember what i did i called him okay and he was at work you know like this uh, right. in shock right. and they said, get out of here, go. So he got on his motorcycle and didn't know where Natividad was. So he's driving in shock on his motorcycle with his phone. And he got there maybe 15 or 20 minutes after me. But one of the things that I seem to remember was that they kept coming out and looking at me and saying, it's really bad. Did they really do that? I mean, that's not what they do in hospitals, but I could have sworn. That's, it's a memory there. I don't know if it's real or not. Right. Anyway, Morgan came uh, and sat with me, and then eventually Zach showed up, uh, not knowing what we were going to need. So he filled the car up with water, blankets, pillows, crackers, anything we might need. He knows need. the drill. Yeah. <laughs> so he just uh, showed up with everything we might need. And we sat for uh, quite a while. I got 
rather fidgety. They sent us up to, they, they took him, uh, oh, we saw him in the ER. Um, after a half an hour with Morgan or more, they said the doctor will, the attending physician will see you. And we went in and met this guy and he said hello and Morgan and I were there and he showed us the screen. Well, I can't even read x-rays. You know, they right. show you the screen with all these blobs on it and say, see this? And I go, oh yeah. So I think they were showing us his brain. Morgan would know. And so Morgan said, is this this? Is this this? Yes. So Morgan was following. I was just looking and he said, um, the frontal lobe's been damaged. This is da 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 da. I didn't hear any of this. I didn't hear mm -hmm. brain trauma. I didn't hear it at all. He said fractured um, C2. He, mm -hmm. I, that I, I know my, my you know, vertebrae. Uh, he said broken um, uh, ribs, uh, broken this, broken that, uh, broken uh, things are all the stuff around his eyes. And that I heard. I know those. I know bones and things. I, I never got the head stuff. Right. And, f and then he said, we're going to take you in to see him, but he looks really bad. And I thought, how bad could he be? I've seen him bad. I saw him when his left leg was shoved up two feet up inside him. So we walked in, and I looked, and he was all bruised and swollen, but the nose was in good shape. I, I was afraid the face had been you know, ground off or something, but he looked, to me, he looked good. Mm -hmm. And they were all very surprised that I didn't scream and cry. I just went over, but I couldn't touch him. There was nothing I could touch. There were, there was a, yeah, that was it. Uh, uh, he had a patch over his uh, left eye, and he, I didn't notice the probe sticking out of his brain. Oh, they drilled holes. Oh, yeah, they drilled, they had yeah. to check the pressure on the brain. And uh, there was no place I could touch him, and, and I didn't know if he could hear me, and so I just was there uh, talking to him, telling him he was going to be fine, and we were here, etc. And then they moved him up into the ICU, and we were in the ICU waiting room, and I had the clothes that they'd cut off him and his helmet, and I wanted to look at the helmet. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see what had happened to the helmet. And so Morgan kept saying, Mother, stop fiddling, stop fidgeting, just sit down. And I said, no, no, no. Well, there was a family in there with a little boy, and the little boy was tired, and he was screaming and whining and making all this noise, and poor little thing. Anyway, I picked the helmet up to look at the way it looked, mm -hmm. and all this blood came out all over my feet, and the f I was standing in this puddle of blood, oh, and the no. room went silent. A little boy oh, just look at that. Let me see his passing picture. Zach has just shown me a picture of Carol holding a what? Helmet full of blood. Well, it's a, it's a plastic a, bag it's a plastic with a helmet inside bag, of it. And there is wow. appears to be about a pint of Craig on the floor underneath the plastic oh, bag. Wow. And yet, Carol, you still managed to pose and make a little smile. Well, we were busy mocking her. <laughs> they at the were time. making fun of me. So told her not to open it. Yeah. We, you know, and they said, "Leave it alone. Leave it alone." I said, yeah. "I just need to see it." No, but so. yeah, you want to understand how did this happen? What happened? And I've been through this with a friend before, and this is something that's hard when you're dealing with bones. They can tell you what's going to happen. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how I'll fix it. Here's how long. When it's a brain injury. They don't know. Liza, I didn't know it was they a brain injury. They don't know. 
They kept right. talking about TBI, and I never asked anybody what it was. Traumatic so, brain injury. Correct. But you, allied with your shark. I mean, this is these are just meaningless things. They to you. were. So let's mm -hmm. let's mm -hmm. have a timeline. When that picture was taken, how long had it been since you discovered the accident? Two so you hours. So we're two hours in when that picture was taken. Probably. Yeah, we have the earliest picture I have is from eleven, basically eleven forty-five, and I'm guessing the accident probably happened around eleven fifteen then. Mm -hmm. And so no, I, the 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 photographs do allow us to have actual time. The first and, picture. And you know, um, it's very poignant for me because while you are all actually going through this, I'm walking around the little car show. Mm. At exactly the same moment, I'm walking around the little car show, oh, oh doing the Miss Emma thing and yeah. visiting with everyone. Yeah. A very Life, normal day. It is a very normal day. And when these things happen, um, you wonder, why didn't everything stop? Right. <laughs> but it doesn't stop. Right. Everything goes on. So... So you're still is still dawning on you what what's going on and I how long does it take? Not even that. Uh, now, Zach, that. are you catching on a TBI? No, not at all. We so thought we'd I mean, be she, out in three weeks. It, right. She really has the best because she's dealt with it the most. She has the most uh, insight into what this is. But I've heard you say it before, and I completely agree. Which is, uh, we had no idea. We did not understand what had occurred and what was going to happen and what it meant in terms of recovery right i would say for the first six months maybe even seven uh, yes we were told the doctors did not hide things from us or conceal things from us they told things generally in, in bleak and stark terms this is what could be the case we don't know but all i heard and this is probably very similar to mom was you know, is he is he dead? No, he's not dead. That's good. Is he going to be able to move his arms and legs again? Yes, now we can see that. That's good. He's banged up. He'll recover. What does his brain damage mean? Well, maybe, I don't know what that means, but, he's, but he obviously can move and he can talk and he'll recover. That's as far as it went. Right. After we established he could move all of his legs and arms and he wasn't a paraplegic and that his face would recover, and the brain swelling had gone down because there was some concern over that for a first week or so. After those things were done, in my mind it was, okay, now it's just time for recovering. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, the, the, we're out of the dangerous part. They're no longer thinking he's going to possibly die. Now they're saying he'll recover. How long? Okay, whatever, doctors, six months, a year, some number, who cares? He'll recover. Things will be better. We're out of the woods. I'm going to shake hands and then we can go home and be, okay. So there was the, there was the, it, it changed from, or at least for me, I don't know about you, it changed from the concern, the, 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 the numbness of what are we going to do to, okay, he's going to be out of the hospital. How long is it going to take before the release? And we'll figure that out. There's going to be some recovery. There's broken bones. It's going to be kind of hard. But all right, we've, we've dodged that bullet. Things will be made whole again. I can start thinking about what are we going to do for the winter time. How are we going to do this? Things are going... We're past the hump. That was my logic. And even more foolish, as you look at it now, was the ICU at Natividad was... The staff was top-notch. They knew everything about him. They knew what he needed, what he wasn't supposed... There was no 
So what does this patient need here today? I see you're, you know, they, 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 right. they, they knew exactly who he was. They knew what he needed. They, it was great. The you're service, confident in the care he was oh, getting. Oh the service gosh. was impeccable. It was exhausting sleeping in there. And it was very boring. And, you know, I put a lot of miles in the electric motorcycle and I found out how far you can drive on it. But the service and the, and the staff, service is the wrong word, the staff, and the doctors, the nurses, wonderful. Just so grateful. We so, were there. We did not leave. We were there for five weeks. So I have another update. I think that you shared. This was about two weeks in. This is September 4th. You said, we are back in the ICU. When I got to the hospital this morning, I found Craig yelling, his tongue sticking out in odd ways, and his eyes blinking horribly. He did not recognize me. He was unresponsive, so I, of course, burst into tears. I became very vocal about there being a problem while all the staff tried to calm me down and tell me there wasn't anything wrong. After a little hysteria, they found his sodium to be very high and moved him back to ICU. I sobbed the whole way. So you're still having these, this roller coaster. Well, what had happened was he had gotten so much better and and, you know everything had calmed down that they wanted to move him into the medical surgical unit who uh, which was run by a friend of mine which is there that's the picture of it this is the second of september they moved him out because obviously the icu is where the worst of the worst go at the most and it's an extreme i mean every spot is precious you don't just leave people in there you need to get them out because there's other people dying of knife wounds and things that need to be fixed so they had an interest in yes is he good enough to be moved can we get him out and let somebody else come in? And I think the, 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 that particular ward was night and day difference. Well, they had nurses that would have three patients and they'd get checked on every 30 to 60 minutes. Well, he was tied. His hands and feet were tied. So because he, he couldn't, kept trying to pull tubes out. He tried out to get out of the bed and pull right. everything mm-hmm. out. So he was stuck. And what happened? He couldn't be alone. And I said, how can you do that? And they said, well, we'll have a sitter in there with him, make sure that he's never alone. You can go home and go to sleep. And I said, oh, and I talked to my friend who runs the unit. She said, Carol, I'll check on everything. Don't worry, you'll be fine. I got in that morning, slept in late, got into it's like seven in the morning or something. And he was doing this. Yeah, his tongue hanging out and eyes blinking. And he was yelling, uh, uh, uh. And there was a girl sitting there typing on a computer. And I screamed and said, what happened? She said, what do you mean? And I said, when did this start? And she said, he's always been like that. Mm. Boom, the fireworks went off. And all oh, they sure. all heard me. And they came, and it was five minutes later. We were back in the ICU. Craig, it's a good thing she's on your side, huh? I want her fighting for me. Oh, my. I was totally unaware, totally yeah. unaware of any of this. But she was looking out. Yes, she was. And so was, was he. What what yeah. it was is that it, is that that prompted you to see about getting him moved to uh, Chomp at that point. That was what caused it. Because by the fifteenth, here's a picture of him in the fifteenth in Chomp. So. Yeah. Well, what had happened was they said we just can't keep him in here. The insurance company is not going to allow him to stay in the ICU this long. And um, I said, well. They wanted him to go into their rehab unit there. And I said, you know, this is a 45-minute drive from home into a very unsafe area. And as good as, this, as the care has been, I don't want him here. Right. And uh, so I started asking around and found that the best rehab was up in Santa Clara. Well, 
I didn't want to take him up to Santa Clara right. because that was far. Mm -hmm. And I wanted family to be able to get to him. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have to rent an apartment up there. And that's just going to be a whole mess. And I found out that our local community hospital had an in-house rehab unit that was only two years old and it was tiny. But that's, you know, 15 minutes from home. And most of the doctors there are friends of ours. So we know everybody, all the volunteers and nurses are all friends of ours. So I wanted to get him into community hospital. And I asked around about it and the nurse, oh, I know what happened. Um, I had just gotten him out of the um, medical surgical unit with that horror. And a nurse came in at uh, two in the morning to give him a bath and said, I have orders to move him back into med surge. And I said, absolutely not. And he said, they're not gonna let him stay here any longer. It's too expensive, he doesn't need it. Mm -hmm. And I said, he's not going into medical surgical. And so I got very upset and I started crying. And then I thought, what am I crying about here? So I got down on my knees and I said, okay, Lord, you got this whole plan. What do you want me to do? He said, take him home. I said, I'm not taking him home. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 take him to Chomp, take him to community hospital. I said, oh, okay, I'll do that. So I said to the nurse, you know, I want to get him into community hospital. And he said, they're not going to let him go. That's a private hospital. This is a county hospital. Mm -hmm. You don't go from county into private and the insurance is never going to let him go from ICU right into rehab. He's got to spend some time in a medical surgical unit. And I said, this isn't my idea. And so I called the head nurse and I said, um, I want to get him into the, the, the um, in-house rehab unit over at community. And he said, well, I don't think they're going to take him. And I said, would you try? And he said, sure. So he contacted their woman at their hospital, and then I called our uh, um, GP, who was Craig's good friend, and I said, John, I want to try and get Craig in a chomp. And he said, insurance is never going to let him do that. And I said, listen, it's not my idea. Just do it. See if you can do it. And um, he said, well, I don't think they're ever going to let you. I said, would you try? Mm -hmm. And then I'm thinking, wait a minute, it's a private hospital. It's probably got a board of trustees. So I looked online and I knew almost all the board of trustees. <laughs> so I got on the phone and I called, you know, called them one by one. And I said, it's Carol Vetter, Red Craig, blah, blah, I'm trying to get him in. And, 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 um, and I knew the, um, uh, the who's the, 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 the doctor that's the head monkey muck at the hospital. Well, he, he was a, the yeah. husband of a friend of mine. She, I called her, she gave me his cell phone in his office, and I called him up and I said, Scott, it's Carol Vetter, Craig, blah, blah, need to get him into the eye. Long story short, two days later, they were moving him into community hospital. So I know this is something that families have to deal with. It is another thing you're not prepared for. There comes a time where the hospital says, oh, we gotta move him, or your insurance won't cover this, or, and now it falls on you to figure out what, what's the next move where you just want what's best for them. But what's best for them isn't always available. There's a restrictions. And it, 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 it's frustrating, because that just puts you in this position of fighting to get the best care. You'd think that our health system would want that too. That's I didn't have to works. fight. I prayed, I got the answer, yeah. and it was done. Well, well and the irony yeah. of, of all this is that 
right now the story is getting pretty convenient. It was, I, at least for me, I don't know about you, that, that first, the time at Natividad, again, aside from the medical ward unit, the ICU, they were, they treated us like royalty. They were, they were extremely, it was great care. But long drives, exhausting times, I'm tired of sleeping in a chair for nine hours. Uh, moving him over to Chomp was like a vacation because now we had a 15-minute drive. We weren't there all the time. They wouldn't let us sleep there. So, so we only visited for <laughs> six- and eight-hour periods of time. I could do work. I could sleep in a bed. He had a I, patio. You know, the, the, it, was it, was a, it was a wonderful location. They treated him well. They had great care as well. He had friends coming to visit him. So at this point, this second month in the hospital, in my opinion, was actually the best month for the next six. <laughs> oh, four weeks. Yeah. Four. So yeah. It was actually really nice. It was, I was thinking, <laughs> ah, now we're getting close to out of the woods. Now so go back so to where's Craig at during this time is that any sign of lucidity from Craig? Absolutely. The lucidity started coming back in the hospital, but I have a, a friend from church who had a TBI seven months, eight months before Craig, mm -hmm. and she had been keeping in contact with me because she had been at the IRU at community, and she said, Carol, when you ask him where he is and he says, I'm in a hospital, she said he doesn't know what that means. He's learned to say that. She said, mm -hmm. I was here for a week and a half, and they kept saying, do you know where you are? Yes, I'm in the hospital. She said, I didn't know what it meant, but I knew that was the right answer. So she said, he might be telling you that, mm -hmm. but I'm pretty sure he doesn't know what that means. And so he always knew who, who the boys and I were. When he first opened his eyes, he knew, but he didn't know he had a brother and a sister. He didn't know how to chew. He didn't know how to swallow. When they got him up to walk and they put his hands on a walker, it, he just leaned forward, didn't know he had to move his legs. Right. I mean, he knew nothing. The first thing I saw was the second week we were in the hospital, his, our general practitioner, John Bennett, came in and spent five hours standing next to his bed holding his hand, straightening his legs out when he was kicking and doing stuff. And every few minutes, Craig would open his eyes and look up at him and go, John. So he knew who John was. And then his sister flew in. She's a psychiatric nurse practitioner. She lives on the East Coast. She flew in, and she was prepared for him not to know her because she knows all about mm -hmm. this. And I've got this great picture I put up on my blog of Craig looking up, and she's holding his hand, and he goes, Arlene. And she was so happy. I mean, the tears just shit. So she came in, and John would come in, and they would tell me what the machines were saying, and they would read the reports and fill me in on what the doctors and nurses were saying because I didn't understand any of it. And what's the timeline now post-accident? Six weeks? No. Four weeks? Three to four weeks. Three to four it weeks. It was five weeks in the ICU and then four weeks in CHOMP. In fact, at the rehab unit, they wanted to let him out after three weeks. Oh, hold on. He was, he was. <laughs> I apologize. I wanted to... I actually have videos of him in the chomp and like interacting with him, we can see how he talks and how he looks. And I didn't mean yeah. that to go off, but yeah. right. the, well, we have, so I actually have timelines of his behavior and things like that. So I wanted to ask real quick, let's talk about the sacrifices from the family. I mean, your, your schedule is gone, right? I mean, you've got a household to take care of. There's animals here. So you've got 
Carol and your two sons who are helping out, are the three of you able to manage or are you calling on even more people? We hired um, a service where we had two or three different men that came in uh, 11 hours a night oh. because Craig could not be left alone. He would get up and wander around and he, and, and he couldn't fall and he had right. no balance. So well, we had this, to this is when he came home, but let's go back to the time when you were visiting in Chong. Oh, uh, and we thought this was just, and it started to become, remember we, we started to complain because we had to go see him and we couldn't wait to get him home? Right, yeah, right. so that's what I was saying is that, is that we had the, the first, so to answer your question, in the ICU, mm -hmm. uh, people started bringing us food, which was very much appreciated. They did that from day one. And, right. right, so what, and we, that continued while we were going to Chomp but again, we were still we still had no clue we were what we right. were dealing with. Even though we've been told many times, it just didn't sink we in. We didn't get it. So at Chomp, we had people bringing us food. We had friends coming to see him, and I had just told all my clients. I I do computer work for people. I just told all my clients I'm unavailable indefinitely. Give me a month or two to figure out what's going on here. And that was going to be my next question, Zach. You've got a career, so that's completely on hold. Morgan has a career that's completely on hold. It wasn't. Morgan was working nine to five, so he was. He kept working. Yeah. He kept working, and at five o'clock, he'd get on his motorcycle and he'd drive, drive straight to, to the hospital. Home. I'd have a dinner there waiting for him, mm -hmm. and I would leave. And he'd get up and, and go back he to work. would stay until twelve, one or two, with with his dad, and then one of us would relieve him at one or two or three, he'd go home and get a few hours sleep and then go back at, to work at eight. And so we worked around Morgan's schedule. But. I was, I was, a little, I was very, I'm very lucky that I was able to just, I could do that. I mean, it, uh, it wasn't, financially it would work, but more importantly, my clients would allow it. They just, right. they just left me alone. I, I could do some work remotely and I could call people, but they were all very, very accommodating. And so I was able to just hold off, we'll deal with it later. So it worked. It was very fortunate that we could do that. I mean, poor Morgan had it the most difficult in terms of trying to juggle work and and uh, he just did it. He anyway. just did it anyway. Yeah. And what about you, Carol? I mean, I, I think you basically see yourself as retired, but I know you do a lot of work within the veteran organization, and all that's on hold. We Everything's have, on hold. No, it really wasn't. We have an online store. Yes, which and I'm so very aware of. I, I? Uh, you know, I would check in with that every few days, pack up what I needed to, and ship it out. But, um, you know, I don't remember. One of the, I always laugh about the um, magic refrigerator and the magic freezer in the garage because while we were five weeks in Salinas, I would come home and, it, and they'd be full. My friends would come over and fill the refrigerator and the freezer up with casserole, salad, Tremendous sandwiches. Tremendous amounts of food. I mean, I'd get up in the morning and I would get a cooler and I would go in to see what was in there and I'd pick all the stuff up for me and then dinner for Morgan. Remember when Tony came out and brought out, brought oh, out food? Oh man, Tony Tomner owns the Rio Grill and Tarkies mm -hmm. and brought, he said, what do you came need? Came out personally. He said, I need three chicken dinners. <laughs> and so he brought them out himself. This is something that I love and what was so nice is that you were posting updates on carryingbridge.org, which was then being shared and the Facebook page. So. I was following this and this is why I wanted to come talk to you all because I was fascinated by the, the network of people right. that went into action. There's no way we could have gone, gotten through this without that tremendous amount of help. I mean, we, uh, 
I don't even know how you're still sane personally, but um, but I, I it's completely true. There were so many people who stepped up. We didn't even have to ask. We we almost had to tell them what we wanted. They were all saying, "What do you want?" And we had to go to the trouble of saying, "You do this. You do this." It sounds very backwards, but it was there was there was a a, a huge outpouring of of help. And we had to turn people away in some cases. Like, you know, people offered to come and stay with them and, and give up days of their time, mm-hmm. you know, which was incredibly kind. It just, we had to we had to organize the people rather than call out for help in most cases. Right. There were things we didn't know what to do and there were things we had to solve because we didn't know what to do. But in terms of, of people offered anything and everything, uh, before we even had a chance to call anybody. Our church, our current church, um, somebody started a Take Them a Meal page and made, they made an announcement at church and said, veterans are in need, you know, here's how you sign up. And I would get phone calls from people who'd say, I've got dinner for tonight, how do I find you? Well, I would drive out and meet them at the church parking lot mm-hmm. right by the Valley Road. These are people I didn't even know from our right. church. And they would bring these incredible meals, and I would bring everything home, and we were all fed. So, so this went we, on for months. Can months. we move forward to day one when Craig comes home? Oh well, my God! <laughs> I, would, I would actually like to ask Craig because you're you're hearing all this so story. It's, it's, it's a question for everyone. I mean, Craig's full of drugs in the hospital, and that's that side of it. But this this is going to be day one well, coming home. He doesn't remember the whole yeah. first day year. one him coming home. Right. So Craig, you, you, you don't have memories of That's any of this of period. Arrival. So when you hear all these stories about the community, how does that make you feel? Doesn't look like the same person. I know, right? Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty amazing. And that's again why I so appreciated you sharing the the blog, because it was amazing how the community came to help to support how the family drops everything and then how the community came to help support them. I mean, there was, including staff and, and church and family, there had to have been 100 people involved with this whole process, yeah. which is amazing. A lot of people, a lot of nurses, a lot of doctors, one retired brain surgeon who, um, because Craig had three operations in the hospital, and each time they took him in for an operation, this was in the uh, ICU in Salinas, they would pull me aside and say, now you understand that he is 74 years old, he's in bad shape, this is going to wear him out. He's not going to be better when he comes out of this operation. And sure. I'd say, yes, he is. Yeah. And um, It was just your faith. Lord told me he was going to be was- fine. So, you know, I wasn't going to listen to the doctors. They're just doing the best they can. They don't know. And you're, see, you're seeing progress. but Every you, time. But you're now operations. realizing it's a long, slow. No. No? No. No. Not at this point yet. You, you understand what, what we're getting at here is that the ICU <laughs> get it. and oh, wow. the Tividad and uh, Chomp. No. Okay. As a matter of fact, the only thing we're wondering is how come he's not quite back to where he was before yet? Right. Yes. I yeah. have no memory of this. Yeah. <clears throat> no memory at all. We, so that's why when so, you were talking about yeah. getting to the point where he was going to be discharged, 
I seem to recall us being actually pretty excited about we it. We couldn't we wait. We couldn't I, wait. I They'd taken we the tube out of his stomach yep. because he could eat. Yep, yep. And they, they, you know, and he was doing everything else by himself. I was looking forward to not having yeah, to drive we, back and forth. Oh, well, we were ready to have him home. So, and so you're looking forward to that day. We're over the hump. We're, We're over, over the, the hump. hump. We're over the, the hump. Hard stuff's the over. Hard stuff's over. This is the easy part. This I can go back to doing what I'm doing. And, oh, and the nice. visiting nurses association said, "Well, you know, you may need help from us here, and you can get home health care." And I'm thinking, we got home lots health care. I got all these friends and Zach and Morgan. And what am I going to need health care for? And and help in the house. Anyway, I had this. Uh, we have a friend who is well, she's 82 or 83 now, and he was a he's a brain surgeon, and as soon as they were taking Craig in for their first thing, I called him. He was on vacation in Tahoe. He called and spoke to the surgeon that was going to operate on him. He stayed on top of this thing. I had doctors and surgeons and all sorts of people checking on him, calling up the doctors and talking to the doctors that were there. And, and I mean, so there was a network in the medical community right. that was keeping an eye on him and reporting back to me what they thought. So, I mean, it wasn't just friends and family, it was the medical community. But understand, we still, even with all this support, even with all this knowledge, we, didn't get we it. were very, we were quite convinced now. <laughs> okay. The big, this was the end. This yeah. is the, the difficulty was largely, sure, there'll be some in, inconveniences. Right. He's coming but home. It'll, it'll be, it'll be easier be, at home. He'll than be it'll so be, much better when yeah, he's home. He'll be so much happier when he's at home. So he arrives. What time? <laughs> Did Craig arrive home? About a month early. I have I have the time. Exactly here. <laughs> okay. Yes. He uh, he arrived. He returned home, October fifteenth at six thirty p.m. So he arrives in the evening, and October. So that's four months, three months, four months. It was August eleventh. So two months. September, two October, months. two months more or less. Just two months, and he arrives home. Mm -hmm. Do you remember it, Craig? He doesn't don't. remember the whole first year. So there yeah. we go. So, so I have another post that Carol did. Okay. Um, there and so and your sense of humor starts to come through in some of these too. This one isn't one of those, but I did appreciate that. And this one says, uh, it "says uh, has did Facebook save my sanity?" Question uh, mark. Says she says honestly, if I don't write down what Craig does every day, it all fades. I've been struggling with trying to find something Craig can do during the day so he isn't just following me around. His attention span is very short. He cannot focus on anything for very long, so reading becomes difficult, so does writing. The only television that seems to capture his attention is MotoGP motorcycle racing. <laughs> I, lo I love that. It's, what, like, what's the, it's what's still the date in there. on this? And this is November. Okay. And so... This was, yeah, talking about having him back and how it's still hard and how you can't leave him alone. There's posts in here about him just falling over. And I think as he, and oh wait, Zach, was it you that or Morgan that caught him? I caught him one time. And Morgan caught him another time. But So hold on a minute. This was an amazing story. He gets up and goes to well, the this door. Is, this is just one of many. I mean, he, he, he the, 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 the problems we began to realize were... He wanted to go home because the hospital told him what he could and couldn't do. Right. And in his mind, he knew what he could do. It has nothing to do with whether he could or not. So when he got home, what that meant was, now I can do what I want. 
story of my life, Zach. Right. Well, I, you know, well, and, and, you know, and and what actually happened was is that his judgment was not sound. He, he would say it's time to go down. You know, get on the motorcycle and drive off somewhere, or let me go outside and uh, you know and and. Uh, I'm you know, taking a bath. Yeah, I'm going to take a bath. He couldn't go up the steps, and he had open wounds all over him, so he couldn't take a bath. I don't care. I'm taking one anyway. Dad, you, you need can't. to use your walker to walk around. I don't need to use the walker. Give walker. me your shoulder, and they'd fall over. Right. So we had his. The, there was he had this problem of one. He didn't have sound judgment. So whether you mm -hmm. wanted to let him do something or not, you couldn't because you essentially had to decide for him if this was reasonable. And then this flew right in the face of what his reasoning, as far as I can tell, was, which was, I'm back in my house, which means I get to do what I... I mean, how would you like it if I came to your house and said, you've had one cup of coffee, that's enough now? You'd say, absolutely. get yes. out of here, this is my house, I do what I want to do, right. you get your own house Who do you that. think you are? Yeah. And you know, I'd say, it's, you can't do this, you can't get out of my way, I'm going to do it. Because well, I'm an adult, I can do what I want to do. If I was mm -hmm. a child... you. So we had this problem where very quickly we discovered, I'd say very quickly was within the first 24 hours, oh, very yes. quickly, mm -hmm. was that one, we could not leave him alone because he would try and do things that were not reasonable to do. Two, he would not listen if he was told not to do it. He would go to do it anyway, or try his best to. And three, that he so essentially, we needed to supervise him. He needed to be. We needed to have eyeballs on him, twenty-four hours a day. It, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to jump off a cliff. It was that he just would not make. It would be like putting a child out in the middle of traffic and expecting him not to get run over by a car. It doesn't have the right. the, the 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 reasoning was not there, and we had to watch and and look at everything and make sure. Thing, have you eaten? Yes, I have. No, he hasn't the whole day. Like. Okay, we got to get some food. I'm not hungry. And I didn't sleep for the first five days he was home because every time he moved, I had to get up. And worse yet is that because he hadn't gotten into a sleep schedule, even though she's running around all day long and I'm running around all day long, and you know, eight o'clock happens, nine o'clock happens, you want to go to sleep. He was sleeping on and off a couple hours every every couple hours, and so he, there was no rise in the morning stay awake through right. the day, go to sleep at night. It was sort of awake asleep, awake asleep for 24 hours a day, which doesn't work so well if you want to sleep. Yes. I do not remember any. Yes, Craig, we and, know. <laughs> the biggest issue that came about, and all said and done, I mean, besides us learning this, you know, we, it was like a horror story in the <laughs> sense that it, it was went a from, horror story. We, you know, we, we, we'd get him back to the hospital. We'll see him in a month. You know, I called but, them up and said, what's your return policy? Yeah, it was. It and was, they said, we don't have it one. It was nothing <laughs> like what we thought it was going to be. It was, that was the beginning of a realization that this was not, maybe it was exactly what the doctors had said, this may take years to recover. So now, now it's like, starting to Maybe they on. actually know, yeah, this was the beginning October. of... October, that's yeah. when October we figured was out the beginning what of, the problem was. There's a serious problem here, this is not what we thought. And the more immediate problem became, uh, okay, we can deal with that aspect, but the, the one thing that could not be avoided and could not be worked around was that she was not able to get sleep. Mm -hmm. I, we're talking about even three hours of unbroken sleep. You can go through a tough day. You can, do, you can go off in a corner and sleep. You need to have regular sleep. And she was not able to get regular sleep. 
Well, and I remember waking up one night. Usually, when the bed moved, I was up. Mm -hmm. One night, I was so incredibly exhausted that you know, I just I could see him get up, and he was heading for the window or something to open something. And I saw him go like this on one foot and the other foot go forward. And I leapt out of the bed. It was like a football player. I just went into him like this and grabbed him wow. and caught him before he went down. And then I cried the rest of the night because I couldn't sleep. And he couldn't hear me. And he had no concept of what was going no on. Concept. All he'd say is, well, let's talk about it. He didn't, his right. reasoning was so, but we had to resolve that issue because. It's one thing to be, you know, on my days to be watching this person. She was not able to get sleep. The, the We actually had to go to the point of, for just a patch, just to, to get around things, mm -hmm. she would stay at our neighbor's house. I would actually stay with him or Morgan and physically restrain him from wandering out. We have to find Looking Carol. Looking for me. Where's Carol? Right, right. She's a different, no, she's not. She said, we have to go look for it. He would look everywhere. He would open up cabinets, look inside the cabinets go into the bathroom, pull the shower curtain back, go into the garage, look in the garage, go into the car, look into the car, go into the pantry, look in the pantry, open up drawers where pots are kept, look in the pots. Wow, Craig, you're a real pain in the ass. Oh, you have no idea. he would do it multiple times. No, nothing could dissuade him. Nothing could dissuade him. She's not right. here. What we need to go look for? And so he'd spend 45 minutes, and then a couple hours later do the same thing, and then a couple hours later do the same and he'd thing. And sit out front wrapped in a blanket outside waiting outside. for me to come home. You know, and it sounds like, oh, what, uh, what a problem to deal with. But for me, I see that behavior in somebody, that drive in somebody, that's what gets somebody to the point where he is now and continues to get better. That's somebody right. who's going to keep fighting. I understand that all my life I'm a winner. Mm -hmm. That's what I am. I'm a winner. I do the best. I do it better than anybody else. And in this whole thing, even though I can't remember a minute of it, I was on my way to beat this thing. Yeah. And even though I knew nothing about it at all, um, I win. I have to. Right. And uh, <laughs> I'm still not there, but I'm farther along now. But it's encouraging to hear that he has that drive, that persistence. I wanted to share another post. And I'm just reading snippets of it. This is from January 1st, 2016. And he said, it is time to kiss 2015 farewell. It has been a tough year, but full of miracles and blessings. We vetters will start 2016 together. <laughs> this is, and this is, where I think your humor starts to come in. Uh, skipping ahead, it says, we had our second Tai Chi class today, and although Craig doesn't get why we are doing it, I love it. It is hard work. For as talented a designer and great writer and racer as he is, he is kind of a klutz. <laughs> Not sure Craig could ever walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> it's true. What a klutz. I mean, there are just some things Craig can't do. And someone said, well, you know, maybe his hearing's so bad you should learn sign language. And I said, he can't learn sign language. He's the only person in the world I have ever met that has no idea what this means. Holding the, let's see, the pinky to the mouth oh, and oh, the thumb oh. to Telephone. the ear. Telephone. Telephone. He has no idea. What, do, you, do you know what this so is? So no, at the end of this post, you put, you put, Happy New Year, dear friends. 
we will be eternally grateful for your love and support through the most difficult time in our lives. This is going to be a great year. God bless you all, Carol. So you're still got your sanity. You're still, huh. you too. Huh. I mean, I said he's got his drive, but so are you. And you are still taking this family forward too. Carol, yeah. this is a very good time for me to ask this. You are a woman of faith, as am I. So we're, we're absolutely on a level here. In your worst sleepless, hopeless state, did you ever question that Craig was going to be all right? No. Did you ever question that? Because you got that message yep. virtually immediately. Yeah. And that is... Just that knowledge that Craig was going to be okay. That's all I needed. That's all I needed. I still run with that. When he gets upset and says, I'm not getting better, I say, are you challenging God? He told me you're going to be fine. You believe it or not? I believe it. I, and at this point, mm -hmm. I don't care how long it takes. It's going to happen. I'm watching it happen. I watched the surgeon who did two of his operations walk right past Craig and not know it was him. Mm-hmm. Carol finally told me that God told her that I would be fine. And when she told me that, I believed it. That's true. And now you, you were also dealing with things like his eyesight was... No, we hadn't even dealt with that yet. Well, but you, you got to a point where you're not just dealing with the body healing and the brain healing. There was a lot of things that came out of it. The hearing. So he hearing finally got hearing one. aids. That wasn't until March of 2016. It was a long well, time. It was a long time because the brain uh, affects, all of this was mm -hmm. brain uh, associated. So the, the vision, I'm not sure if Craig had double vision the whole time or not because for the first two or three months, everyone kept saying, do you have double vision? And he said, no. But I don't know if that's true or not. Right. And then later he said he did. Well. The hearing was something we didn't do anything about right away because the brain is still healing and the ears are changing and the brain could heal to the point that right. the ears Doctors are Doctors advised us to, to let things off. recover as long as they could before you look at a mechanical or electronic or a, you know, a, a human solution to the problem. I would like our listeners to have an idea of the level of care that Craig required when he came home. So. Forgive me for being blunt. Could Craig feed himself? No. Could Craig bathe himself? No. Could Craig use a lavatory by himself? Sort of. But assisted. Well, we would be there with him, and we, we need put to have, yeah. right. We put all these things on bars and stuff on the toilet. You need to be on standby. But you have to stand in there with him. Right. So this is the level of care. I mean, this is absolutely. A critical level of care. Oh yes, if he stood up, you had to be right next to him because he could fall right over. And these guys had come in at eight or nine o'clock. I don't remember when. Eight. And um, every night he'd say the same thing to them for six months: bring some wood into the fire, stoke the fire. He was very cold when he got home, and he kept this fire going so much so that we couldn't be in the living room. It was so stifling it was hot. So in hot, here. he actually had to leave. Yeah. We couldn't be in here with him. And he didn't want to put extra clothes right. on. It just wasn't part of the deal. So these guys would come in, and they would get him up to bed, 
and they would sit up there all night. Wow. A week. So here we are, we're nearly two years in. Mm -hmm. Does Craig still require a level of care? Oh, no. He's so fabulous now. <laughs> he. You know what I'm you know, Yeah, so we He just used a regular shower. He, we're having plumbing problems, so right. they're using the shower at my place. I have just a regular bath, bathtub with a shower. You have to step over a bathtub, and then I have no handlebars, no handle guards. You just let him take a shower and left. Yep. And the vet, he walked into a regular slippery, you know, it's mm -hmm. not a special anti-grip mat. A regular shower, took a regular shower himself with nobody standing by, dried himself, got out, and dressed himself. Three hours ago. Yep. So that's and he gets up and makes breakfast, and sometimes he gets up when I sleep in, and he brings me coffee upstairs. So night and day. Hey, let's bring Craig into the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> he remembers this stuff. Yeah. I want to know, Craig, what what things are your hurdles now? What are you working on to get better and improve? Time. This is the longest recovery I have ever experienced. Time, um, and I want to. Uh, Put on a streamliner contest this summer. There's yes. a lot of things I want to do, but the biggest problem is I don't, time is so slow to do the things that I think I want to do. Right. And he doesn't like to do his balance exercises, and he doesn't like to do his walking, and he doesn't like to do his sit-ups, and he doesn't like to do all the things Morgan makes him do four times a week. He'll say, is Morgan coming <laughs> over? Doesn't want to do it? Yeah. Yep. I, I, oh, no. And yet... He can sit in a straight back chair with no arms on it, stand up and sit down 30 times because he's got the strength in his legs and he's got the balance and it's all because of Morgan. Morgan makes him do all this stuff. He hates it. I hate he sees exercise. Morgan come and he goes, oh no. So <laughs> if, Morgan. So if we draw a direct line to the first day he comes home and today, is it is it a straight line or do you see spikes and then a little bit of decline and then yeah. up and down up and up and, and down, down. Yeah. and yeah. craig here and i apologize for talking to you as if you're a third person but remember you don't remember anything of the first year you're right. which is why um he had two seizures okay so can we talk um, about the seizures oh, man that was a that was a, a dip oh, when was the dip. first dip. seizure and did it come as a surprise to all of you uh, yeah except that the medical profession said oh well you know we all knew he was prone to seizures and i said why didn't someone say something to us that would have been nice would have been very nice it was may 5th yeah. i believe they were almost exactly year. one one month apart almost yeah. exactly okay. may 5th was the first one we were in church and we were standing at the back of the church and he had just stood up and he was standing there straight as a rail with his uh with his walker and i said something to him and he just stood there and i said craig and he didn't answer me and so i grabbed his head and said craig blah 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 and he went and his moan came out and I looked at him and I, you know, went like this with his face and he didn't see me, he didn't hear me anything, he just said, mm. and then I saw him starting to get stiff. And so I shoved him down back into the pew on top of the cushion and I yelled, somebody call 911. Uh, and most of the church was empty, almost everybody had left. And because we were waving at people as they went out. And pastor, who never has his cell phone on him when he's preaching, had a cell phone in his pocket, whipped it out, 
called, and he was not standing too far away, called 911. And then I watched Craig's hands clench and turn in, and then he started to turn blue. And I, <laughs> I did what everybody does right. when they're not thinking. Open his mouth, stuck my finger in there. And then I thought, no, that's not good. You're not supposed to do that. And so I, I did this. I pushed his head back and put his chin. I didn't know about the hold you could right. do here. So anyway, you know, I did this and he stopped turning blue. And then I yelled, I need a doctor now. And I don't think it was five seconds, two of them. And they got him down on the floor and one was uh, at his head, had his head in her lap, and the other one uh, was uh, at his side. And the nurses came running in from the office, slapped a cuff on him, started checking his blood pressure, started counting his pulse, were watching his eyes. I mean, it was like that. And, um, and I stood where he could see me, and I said, I'm here, you're going to be fine, because again, Lord told me he was going to be fine. Right, this was just a seizure. He wasn't going to die from this. So I just stood there and said, I'm here. You're going to be fine. And then the funny thing happened. This uh, Two paramedics came in, and they were doing this and that and the other thing. And then a third paramedic came in with the uh, gurney. And he looked down, and he went, oh, my gosh. I picked this guy up on Schulte Road almost <laughs> a year ago. We all thought he died. Wow. And then he looked at me and said, he looks really good. And I was, <laughs> well, he's looked better. <laughs> anyway, wow. he said, wow, I can't, we all thought he died. We never thought he'd survive. Oh my gosh, do you mind if I tell the guys at the station? I said, no, tell the guys at the station. Anyway, he just was amazed. So they loaded him up. And somebody on my left said, give me your car keys, and I did. And somebody else said, I'm taking his walker and putting it in his car. And this other woman said, they're taking you to Chomp, so I'm going to park your car in the parking lot, and I'll find you and get your keys to you. And I don't even know who that was, Dawn, but I didn't know who it was at the time. I was, you know. So we got in the um, uh, ambulance, and he was starting to come around. By the time we got to the ER... Casey Grover was one of the ER docs. Yeah. Uh, a classmate of, of our son Morgan's was one of the ER docs. And so they were right on him. They knew who he was. They were, you know, checking him out. And it was... <sighs> he was there for five days. Two or three in the morning before they got him in a room. I mean, wow. we were in the, e we were in the uh, ER for a, half a day. And they finally got him up to a room, and, I, and it was a strange room. It was an odd room. It was one of those rooms that, that I forgot what they call them. It was them, upstairs. It was, the one, it was one of those where they don't think you're going to stay all mm -hmm. night. And so it was really crummy, and there was you know, no room to do anything. And that was another whole mess. But it turns out, once again, that Morgan came in. I said, i got to go home. So Morgan came to stay with them, and they said, well, it had been three or four days. We're going to let him out. And Morgan said, well, he hasn't, you know, gone to the bathroom the whole time he's been here. It's been three days. And he said, I'm not taking him home <laughs> until that happens. And then he said, and by the way, why is he breathing like that? He was going, right. He said, he doesn't breathe like that. And they said, hmm, they checked him out. His lung and his arm were full of um, oh. blood clots. Wow. 
if he hadn't had the seizure, if when we hadn't been it. at the hospital, if Morgan hadn't said, why is he breathing like that? They wouldn't have found the blood clots. They put him on Coumadin, immediately put him on blood thinners, wow. and then put him in another room. And they moved him, and Morgan said, you know, this is really a crummy room, and we're staying with him. Don't you have anything better? Well, they have rooms that I guess they put kings and queens or something in because this one had an extra bed, a private bath, an outer, you know, Morgan called and said, I'll stay Atrium, here yeah, the uh, next couple of days if you want yes. because this is nicer than my house. And, uh, and it, it was fabulous. It was but that fabulous. was just the one of two, wasn't it? There was a second There one. was a second one. And it was because they put him on these anti-seizure medications, which are horrible. Okay. All of a sudden, my husband, who'd been walking around talking yeah. and doing things, was like this. Uh, he's, he's a walking, walking zombie, huh? He, the mouth was hanging yeah. open, the eyes watered. I mean, he, it was horrible. His, his disposition was very different. Oh, everything was horrible. Not no memory of this. I know. <laughs> 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 it's it's the loop. We yeah. got the loop going here. You're in five minutes. You're here it again. You're here it again. Anyway, he was, um, and so of course, you know, I, you talk to everybody and they say, yeah. we'll probably never have another seizure again. And then other people say, well, he was prone to seizures because all this happened. They should have told you. And then, of course, I learned what you do with a seizure and that he won't die from, et cetera. And I thought, you know what? This medication stinks, and I took him off it. Good go. And he had another seizure. <laughs> <laughs> and I was and there it is. in a doctor's office, actually, having a checkup, and the phone rang, and it was Morgan. Now, Morgan's the one in the family who never gets flustered. If Zach sees, forgive me, blood or guts or something, he runs around and waves his hands and goes, ooh, ooh, ooh. he you, runs around in a circle. Well, obviously like he takes girl. his camera out and takes a photo. Just dumped it all does the this, you know, he doesn't do well with it. Right. Morgan gets very still, his eyes flick back and forth and he says, you do this, you do this, yeah. you just pick them up. So Morgan's the calm one. Morgan was with him when he had the second seizure here at the house and he heard him and went in and found him and freaked because mm. he'd never seen his dad like that called me, I came home, paramedics picked him up. This time they took us to Salinas. I don't know how they decide where they're taking us. We were in Salinas at church and they took us to Community Hospital Monterey. We were home here in Carmel and they took us back to Salinas. But anyway, it was fun. We got to see everybody we knew. And so we hung out in, uh, uh, and he came out of that one pretty quick. He spent one night at the hospital in Salinas. And then when we left, we had to go over to the ICU and visit everybody. So they were all excited right. to see him. Blah, blah, blah. Right. But so it's been that was a that was a huge dip. That took probably four months. That was months. June of 2016. Yeah. That so took it's us back. it's been a long road. It's been a roller coaster, and I want to get to where we are right now in the future. But the one question that I think we ask of almost any accident is, what was the gear? Did the gear do its job? Could he have had better gear, meaning the helmet? So, what what kind of helmet? What kind of helmet were you wearing, Craig? Bill, like a, a open face. He had an R two face. Only helmet. one in the family that rode like that. The rest of us all wore full face, right? Because as has been said to us so many times, would you want your face scraped off? So was this an old helmet or a newer oh, helmet? A brand new, it was like a year old. Okay, so it was a newer helmet. Old. It was a new one. Was I just really? bought him. 
and it came down and was on the bridge of his nose. Right. So it did its job or it didn't? It did its job as best as a helmet that's not a full face helmet can do its job. Okay. But his face smashed into, where his face got smashed into, there was no helmet, so yeah. there's no helmet to protect what isn't there. So a full face, a full, full face, face but, but, that, but you know what it comes down to is could it could it have changed the outcome? Yeah, but who knows? Right. But there's no question in my mind that if he had a full face helmet, probably wouldn't have broken the bones in his face. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, we don't know about okay. anything. But else. I don't know about the, tr- the trauma. And I, and no I was trauma. Uh, interviewed on the phone in Salinas by somebody, and I said, nobody in my family will ever ride and with anything but a full face helmet. Right. We threw he them said, all out after the after the. He accident. said, you can't say that. And I said, I'm saying it. Right. Well, good. Good on you. So, Craig, when this had happened, um, prior to this happening, You've been working with people like Electric Terry, Alan Smith, who've both been on our podcast before, and you have your shop out back that you were helping them veterize their bikes, and when this accident happened, everything stopped. And I know uh, Alan was building a new-to-him bike, Um, and then I think when I came here, like, like a year later, I think it was still here, right? Still is now. So now are you getting back into the shop? Are, are things starting to happen again? That's this I'm, not, I'm not really back into the shop. Right. Yeah. However, um, Terry Hershner has, mm-hmm. brought, has brought in um, new enthusiasts. People want to streamline their this, to streamline yes. that. I can do it now. I mean, the, the the tooling is all done. The molds are made, and uh, Mike Corbin makes my dues. Call him, give him a call, and he makes them. So, right. there's a guy coming this afternoon. At least one guy who wants to streamline his uh, uh, zero, and uh, right. he's. And I said, okay, Zach, I'll have Zach come down and help you. I'll come down and help you, and uh, so we're getting started again. We're also talking about. Uh, fuel economy contest this summer. So mm-hmm. I'm very slowly, almost with no activity at all, returning, which is very right. important to me. As I was telling Zach earlier, that um, being around smart people and talking about intelligent things, ideas, solutions, you know, make me get up and walk away feeling normal. Mm-hmm. Probably more normal than exercising. And, uh, <laughs> and well, I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that you like one and don't like the other. Well, I like <laughs> smart people, and I and I respond well to smart people, and I'm surrounded by smart people here. So it's probably the it's a uh, so being around people who want to streamline their motorcycle and, and do more with less energy. That's a smart person. I do real well with those. So well, uh, I I love that you are back you're getting back and the thing that you're most passionate about you're able to continue and the fact that you you developed it enough that you have people like Terry Hirschner who can help perpetuate and keep it going I'll tell you for me the moment that I felt like I I think everything's going to be okay is last year about a year ago at the quail and I was talking to you and and oh, you were in pain because he had broken his hip, right? Well, his hip had been replaced. Yeah. But he hadn't been up, up. Right. As much as he had been. So you're at the, the motorcycle gathering, and 
I remember talking to you and you go into the talking about the bikes and the this and the that. But then on the other hand, I'm not sure you actually were very cognitive about where you were and what's going on, but you can delve into in-depth conversation about the thing you're passionate about. And that to me was like, okay, you know, Craig, the man is still struggling and recovering, but Craig, the genius, he's there. That never went away. Carol and I were at Trailblazers meeting in LA uh, last weekend. And the Trailblazers meeting is It's a banquet, honey. Banquet, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's every fast motorcyclist in America. Every mm. fast one. And um, they all said the same thing. They were amazed that I was still alive. They were amazed that we could talk about motorcycles. They were amazed that I was standing up and talking about them. They were amazed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't think about that. I think oh, it's just coming. But most people don't think it's coming. Right. Well, and, and even now, I mean, just looking looking at the way you're sitting here while we're talking, you're you're able to get up, you're able to move around. You're not, you know, even a, even a year ago, you just you'd be you know more or less attached to the chair because you'd be exhausted. The right. last time I spent any time with you, Craig, was the July the fourth weekend. We did the economy challenge. And you very graciously stumped for lunch for us at the Golden Tea Restaurant at Monterey Airport. And the difference between the Craig we met then and the Craig that's sitting in front of me now, it's night and day. And the the other thing I wanted to say is the thing you share with other inventors, with other innovators, you have this percolating mind. And it's clear as day to me, it's, it's there. I can, I can see the ideas just flashing in your head. And so it's... It, after God, after my family, after my neighbors, my ability to design and think about those things is most important. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that said, they may be down there, but now I, I know there's a group of guys coming over. I told Terry to keep them out of the house until we're done. So we'll go down there and check. I, Craig, I want to thank you for spending the afternoon with us and just tell you how happy I am just to see you progress. And, and you know that you've been an inspiration to all motorcyclists and everything you do, but you two, Carol and Zach, have been a real inspiration watching how you came to the call for action to help this man and how you've helped him get back to this point. And not just you, as I said, the the staff that you mentioned and the friends and your faith and church and people who came to walk Craig down the driveway, everybody. It's so great. And it's not like you have to be thanked for doing it. You will do it anyway. This is, this is what you do for your people. I had no idea that, that God made people like this. Yeah. I had no idea. And I'm married to one of them. <laughs> and I helped make the other one. Exactly. So, yes, thank you all for taking the time to share your story. And hopefully what I want the takeaway for our listeners is, you know, you can't say that it was you were at fault that you could have done anything different maybe a helmet but i want people to remember anytime you throw a leg over a bike or get in a car or go onto the football field or do whatever you do 
that have your affairs in order and know that every risk that you take, what's at stake for everybody else involved to help you recover. And I hope that if people just remember that, think about that, that maybe they'll think about that and go a little slower. Maybe they'll put on a little more gear. Maybe they'll donate blood. Maybe they'll do, you know, maybe they'll, you know, find their faith, their reason for going on, whatever. But this really is, it's just a great story. And I'm so glad that it ends with you here today about to walk out to your garage and meet a group of bikers and talk about what you're most passionate about. And that wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for these people right. on the couch. You're right. It's a... Uh... It's hard not to be in charge, and I wasn't for about two years, right. but I'm becoming. <laughs> right. So I think we're ready to wrap up. I thank think you again. So. And um, thank you to all of our listeners. And uh, if you want to listen to our first interview we did with Craig, which was over a year ago, it was podcast number 91. And I remember I was so excited. <laughs> The Craig Vetter was coming to our garage to talk about bikes. It was so cool. He's arriving again. <laughs> I know, I know. So exciting. So that's it. Uh, wrapping up, this is Eliza. We got Craig. Thank you. We got Carol, Zach, and Emma. Miss Emma Darling. And thank you. Thank you very much. We are out of here.